Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Alarm, alarm. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. James Holland sniffling in uh, <laughs> Winchester, in Wiltshire there. How are you, Jim? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, I'm, um, yes, I am okay. I, it's just, I've, I've, it's one of those sort of winter colds that's been going around. Everyone seems to have had it, um, um, but it seems to last sort of two weeks. It's just really boring. But yeah, I feel like I'm on the kind of on the way out. Anyway, how are you? Are on you the right? way out? I mean, no, no, I mean on the way out of the, you know, the end of, <laughs> of the cold. End, right. end of the cold, God, yeah. Blimey, yeah, no, I thought no. you were dro- drop, dropping some quite heavy, <laughs> heavy news there. Yeah. Carry on I'm without me. Contemplating <laughs> imminent death, yeah. <laughs> I've written this letter for, for Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah, for my loved ones. There's actually even one for you, Al. <laughs> I'm um, going to uh, leave you my, my, uh, my model collection. My uniforms, <laughs> my flying well, helmets. I have to stay and slim. You can have that as well. I might leave that one for Joey, actually. Yeah, the fat, the one with fap on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So tickets to We Have Ways Festival went on general sale on Friday, um, the the weekend of the eighteenth to 21st of July, isn't it? Is that right? Yes. Um, next year, Black Pit Brewery, so the same place as last year. We look forward to seeing you all there. We've talks. It's, Invasion stripes all round. Uh, we're already—I mean, we're already having a good, th- proper think about what the program is going to be and how we, how we, how we fit everything in. Basically, that's the, the yet again the problem. <laughs> that will be the challenge. The tickets, like I say, at wehavewaysfest.co.uk are on sale. We don't like to do the hard sell on here, so go have a look at the site. Um, there's there's a VIP ticket with some meet and greet sort of stuff. Um, uh, under 16s are free so we're trying to be a bit more family friendly this year um, uh, and we hope to see you all there I mean, it is going to be ace I mean it is going to be yeah. really really fun yeah yeah, it's going to be bigger or better, and and if you've not been, it's basically it's a whole weekend of us wanging on about the war. Um, so how are you getting on then? So you, you're 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 absolutely in the you're you're currently in a studio reading Robert Hutton's book, aren't you? On Friday, I got this USB stick which has all of every airborne unit possibles war diaries like fantastic how did you get that oh you need to know the right people jim 
and, and, oh, yeah, yeah, and be yeah, prepared to cross their paths with silver, basically. But it's everything. It's literally everything. Photocopies, you know, or scans of, of absolutely everything. Not just First Airborne Division, everybody. Everybody faintly airborne. SAS, everything. Right. So I've and there's the Pegasus archive, which is where where and, and, and I got it from uh, from from Mike, who runs that. And um, there, there are transcriptions of the wardrobe on there. But the actual documents, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Some of it, some of it is sort of uh, slightly different. And, and you start looking around in the type documents and looking for for, for what's. What's being said and and all this sort of stuff. It's very interesting. The other thing is, is I thought, well, let's have a look at. So I'm looking at signals at the moment. Of course, famously, it's the the radios are the supposedly the, the big problem. Yeah, don't uh, um, work. They're no good. Yeah. Now, right. So first airborne division, they they have a very very good landing on the first day, and they basically recover most of their most of their kit like in one piece straight away. Sixth airborne division on D Day lose half of their radios on landing. And you don't, but you don't hear them complaining about the radio. Moaning on about, and it's literally, dodgy it's literally, radio. it's like that. You know, they 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 come in with 123 or something, and and 60 of them are and lost. And you know this now because you can look at all these war diaries and yeah. go cross reference. Yeah, and I really because I really want because it's not because you because these these war diaries you've got they're not just for September 1944. No, it's the whole thing. It's in, it's the entire thing. So I thought look at other look at other D days for signalling problems. So look at what look at Vastin. Look at that all goes better, and they're relieved immediately. So it's not such a problem. The issue is, you know, when you look at the, if radios are such a problem with Market Garden, what's the experience? And the experience that they have at, um, in Normandy is that they, they, they lose half of them. And yes, they are relieved sooner, but they, they do have a radios problem, but, the, but they don't get hung up on it. It's fascinating. And also, the, the main radio that isn't working is Roy Urquhart's radio, which is why he goes herring off. Most of the rest of the net is working and the artillery net works the entire time. And the phantom net, you know, on the on the sort of the redundancy they're expecting, where sometimes sometimes they can't get through, sometimes they can. There's a business of a there's a business with interference from a lorry, like causing electrical interference in the town. All these complications, but basically the artillery net works pretty much the entire time. The thing they're really worried about is what they call their dags, their batteries, and they're called dags because they were made in Dagenham, right? And uh, and. All of this side of it, and the, the artillery net pretty much works the entire time, and the PR, the public relations net, back to the war office works pretty much constantly, and phantom. So they're able to talk. They're able to talk to London. They're able to talk. They get through to Browning as well, and everything. So the radios in general, certainly on the on the Tuesday, the radios in in general are working. I think there might be other people who, who view who, who view some of this differently, but it's just very interesting that the you know, the divisional headquarters signals logs basically say, at this point, we were talking to 1st Air Landing Brigade, 4th Para Brigade, um, 11 Para, the South Staffs, you know, and everyone they, need, everyone they need to be speaking to, but not, but basically not the bridge. The bridge is the one person they can't really talk to properly. But the artillery net, the foo at the bridge is able to talk to, to um, the air landing battery um, around the church pretty pretty satisfactorily and in fact calls in a shoot that uh, so I'm when not... does the whole kind of battery you know the whole radio is not working thing when is that supposed to be kicking in <laughs> at that point well no the basic problem is is on day one um uh, uh Urquhart's rover set doesn't work it's um, only Urquhart. it's not the rest it's of only it. Cause, really because the way you the, in the in the sort of popular narrative it's it's 
the radios don't really work. No one can communicate with one another. It's all a kind of complete yeah, show. They, well, they don't. They don't really work within the fact that they don't really work anyway, right? So the, the, this is this is sort of part of the point. Is those sets? Those sets, depending on how practiced you are with them as well, have degrees of reliability, right? And the, the airborne stuff seems to actually be working with kind, as far as I can tell. And and I'm, you know, if it, I, I defer to someone who knows more than more about this than me entirely happily. But the sniffing around I'm doing, it just looks like they're kind of working within the expected parameters of the of the set, and especially moving them around a lot and yeah, yeah. all this sort of thing. But it's right. And then there's also there's a, there's a huge amount of sort of very fine-tuning twiddling. I remember when I was doing all the Sherwood Ranger stuff, you yeah, know, the, yeah. the, the problem of sort of um, sort of netting up every day. You know, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. It wasn't just to kind of like switch it to from dial A to two. B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, you've got to kind of... Well, but but it's but it's chiefly his his rover set on his Jeep doesn't work. Not, you know, in, in the sort of first three, four hours of the operation. And that's why he goes off to find um, uh, brigade headquarters and ends up hanging around with, with Fitch. You know, and 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 cramping his style. Kind of the rest of the net gets up and running. And certainly on the Tuesday, the day I'm looking at, it's all working pretty well. Although there's one juncture in the in the battle where Colonel Lee in eleven power has given orders. He's given orders um, to redirect what he's doing in the town, but the interference is so bad on the set he can't be sure what they actually are. You know, for such a well trod story. You know, it's sort of like D-Day, isn't it? And sort of trying to come up with something fresh. But it sounds to me like you're getting a huge amount of fresh perspectives and material on all this. But the interesting thing is, is what I'm, I mean, what I'm finding is, is all the stuff we've said, we could, you could condense to the radios are unreliable and, and they're causing a problem. When are they doing that? To what extent? Yes. Um, and how uh, much is that responsible for the problems they find themselves? Yeah. But when we talked about Fibo last week before last, that's causing much more of a problem than the fact that you can't radio anybody. Whole whole infantry companies are in four houses, but four houses separated. You know, it's the. I think it's the terrain. Although there's a you know the houses interfere with the radios and the and the fact that Arnhem has hills and stuff, which they're not expected. Yeah. But but yeah, yeah. Th- these are these are hillier the, than you think. It's it well, uh, but these are sort of everything's intersecting and overlapping, and all the problems are overlapping on on one another. You know, and you th- uh, you do get the feeling if it had gone well, no one would be talking about the radios in the same way that on D-Day, the, the, the intelligence that Six Airborne has about the possibility of armour being present isn't very good. That They don't have very good intelligence on what's going to be there. But because they win, no one talks about how the intelligence is crap. <laughs> yeah, that is the key, isn't it? Which is the key, I think, you know. Because when things go wrong, everyone goes, okay, finger point, you know. Look for the problems, look for what look the, the issues are. And I, I think, you know, the Urquhart in his account says, when I landed, I was struck by the topography. And you're like, all oh, right, okay, now you're struck by the topography. <laughs> we, we can't wang on about this forever. You've, you've got, you t- wanted to talk about a Russia party Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's not a Russian tag. It's not a Russian camp. It's Russian camp which is R-U-S-H-E-N. Do you remember we talked to um, uh, Simon Parkin um, uh, about, about the Isle of Man and stuff? So this is, so I've, I've been, so I'm literally a day away from finishing this this novel that I've been doing for the last few weeks. Happy ending? Yeah, yeah, obviously. Oh, great. Thank you for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's all fine. It's all fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, yes, it does. Um, uh, but but um, yeah, no. So the, it's this, you know, the whole the whole principle premise behind it is it's a family saga set on a farm, but but it's three generations, and you follow the points of view of one character at a time, yeah. but but lots of different characters. And one of the characters is married to one of the sons, and has lived in Britain for twenty years, but she's German. 
Right, right, and, yes, yeah. Uh, and I think we put that extra out on um, mm. on Patreon at one point. So obviously she, she get and, and because her family back in Bavaria are her father and her brother are Nazi members. Yeah. Party members and have been in communication since the start of the war. Yep. She is categorised B rather than a C, even right. though she's married to an Englishman and has three kids yep. that she's brought up in England. And because she's a category B, when they start collaring the lot, she's one of the people that gets collars, obviously. Yeah. This is a bit of a spoiler for anyone who's itching to read Alvesden, it has to be said. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so so what happens? You know, so 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 they get they get you know she gets picked up like all the others, and they basically all get interned, and they have a quite a horrible time of it. You know, lots of them get put. A lot of the women get put in Holloway Prison, for example, for a bit mm. while they're trying to work out where they're going to put them, and mm. and they put them in the Isle of Man. But at the southern end of the Isle of Man is a little tiny little peninsula, which is the parish of Russian, right as in R-U-S-H-E-N. And there's two um, two villages. There's Port Erin, E-R-I-N, and there's St. Mary. And they're on either side of this little peninsula, which is, you know, literally, you know, half a mile wide, you know, mile yeah. wide or something, mile and a half wide, something like that. And so what, they, what the British do is they put wire across the peninsula north of these two villages, and they turn the village into Russian camp. What? And... All the all the internees and their women and you know sometimes their children are interned with in boarding houses and anyone who wants to put them up and earn a guinea a week. What? Yes, it's it's just the most mad thing. I mean, I've been doing exactly the same thing. So this so so <laughs> it was much more stringent in the men's camp, and it was pretty slack in the in the women's camp. So so. You lived on the bottom of, of, of I mean, if you look at Google Earth and you look yeah. at look at Port Erin, for example, yeah. you'll see that it there is this little this little peninsula. Yep. And uh, and there it is. And basically it's absolutely extraordinary. So, so so the wire runs across the north now where there's a golf club. Yeah. Over to just north of Gansey. Yeah. And how many how many people are in there? Well, to start off with not that many. Uh, and so I, I don't know. I haven't got Vinyl figures. But anyway, they're all hundreds to start off with and then yeah. thousands, I suppose. Wow. And they're all housed in there. My heroine gets gets put in with in a in a house with a with a lady called Elsie, who's a widower. And she lives in Shore Road, which exists, and it's right on the bay. And they can do what they like, as long as they don't cross the wire. They go on walks every day, they go in clubs, they kinda of hang out, they kinda of chat. Elsie has her kind of, you know, times which she does her meals and you know they do they do high tea and they drink lots of sugary tea all day long <laughs> and and you know have pilchards on toast for for tea and stuff but basically they can do what they like and everything's absolutely fine and she and and my my heroine Karin is put together with with Anna Hartman who is Viennese and who is a musician but right. has fled after the Angelus yeah and has got to England and doesn't know where her parents are. Her brothers managed to get to America. Yeah, but but she's on her own. She doesn't look remotely Jewish. She doesn't. She's not a practicing Jew. Yeah, but she's Jewish. Yeah, and this really really happened. Another internee turns up and has and gets put in the same house. And she is an absolute rabid Nazi. Oh my god! So I've had quite a lot. Of, yeah, and this happened. You know, and you'd have occasions where you would have Jews and Nazis having to share beds together and stuff in the in these boarding houses. And stuff. Jesus Christ! And I haven't done that, but but but. How would that play out? I mean, it's quite an intriguing thought, isn't it? What would have happened if you well, had ended ended up with two, with three Germans, with an with an English housekeeper, 
I mean, there's a bleak, there's a, bleak a black comedy. There's a sitcom in that. I mean, it, uh, <laughs> well, it's been very hard not to kind of turn it into that, to be honest. <laughs> but I thought, I, I just thought, I was just thinking about it, and I was thinking about it. Okay, you're all together. How would that play out? I mean, because the Nazi couldn't just sort of keep doing Jew baiting all day long. I mean, it would get no, it would get boring, wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> you know. Well, I don't know. I think if you're a Nazi, it probably it might keep you going all day long. I mean, it, well, it's they have this huge argument about about kind of you know, because she sort of goes, well, you know, it's 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 a burden of our generation that we've got to kind of you know that stuff, get, yeah, all that kind of stuff. She says, you know, it's very unfortunate that we've got to get rid of all the Jews, but the Jews have to go somewhere else. Um, they can't be there because they're not, you know, not, not pure bloods and you know they're not Aryan yeah. and blah blah blah. And Anna, who's the Jew, just goes, that is just so ridiculous. I mean, this is not my fault. I'm a Jew. I, you know, I, I didn't choose to be. I'm not practicing. I, I mean, you know, you're a Christian because you were born a Christian, but you might have been born a Jew. And and you know what 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 Laney, the 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 Nazi, is not appreciating is is that it is just religion it's not it's not racial she tries to anna the jew tries to smother her with kindness and just push back and push back and push back and karen also does the same and they start to sort of turn her from nazi positive to nazi negative <laughs> God and they don't really achieve it but they do they become they sort of friends in a kind of weird sort of way where they go bizarre. walks together and they go swimming together and all the rest of it and they have their sort of difference of opinion, but they kind of they sort of rub along, and it and it builds to a big argument where Anna proves that it is not racial, that it is just an accident of religion and, and birth, and about the whole because she says, well, in what way are we we different? You know, I look the same. Um, you know, you've, we've both got brown hair, we've both got eyes, you know, ears, nose, and all the rest of it. And she goes, well, you know, everyone knows that Jews have got really big noses. And she goes, well, but but my nose is clearly smaller than yours. And she goes, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and so they then have this argument and they get out a tape measure. Oh my god! And and Anna the Jew proves that her nose is smaller, and of course it it just chips away at this absolute certitude that Laney has of all that kind of nonsense that she's been that she's been fed. Been fed, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think wow. it works, <laughs> but I, but I, would that have happened? I mean, I can't. I, to me, that seemed the most logical course of events well yes i suppose if you're i mean if you're living together you're it's living strange, together. isn't it when was this camp russian camp open from 30th until? of may 1940 right and then and then closed what a couple of years later something like that yeah wow i mean i'm not really That's interested after kind of august 1940 <laughs> but, no but, no but, of course not they've left a story haven't they yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, wow. but 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 yeah absolutely amazing and they all had little Incredible. clubs and they would they would knit yeah. stuff and they and they they realized that they you know some people have money and some people didn't have money so what they did was they had a kind of sort of payment in kind where you worked out what skill set you had and you would do stuff that you could do and in exchange for a kind of sort of Tokens, bit too much detail for my novel, but 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 yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. You, you, you know the whole thing's been absolutely fascinating. And trying to recreate yeah. that kind of nineteen forty atmosphere and the, yeah. the kind of Hitler waiting for Hitler to arrive and the you know the parachutists mm. and the kind of arguments mm. against sort of you, you know it, it's a kind of so much of fear is illogical, isn't it? And actually, you realise that that humans generally are illogical. Yeah, you know we're, we're emotional, aren't we? So we're, so yeah. so we think emotionally and and we don't think very logically very often. No, and and, and we have logic. Which which helps us harness our emotions, I suppose. To be completely tangential about that, I mean, it's no surprise that Nigel Farage was picked to, picked to do trials in the jungle last night. And I'm slept to get me out of here yeah. because people people are thinking emotionally. They want to see him. They want to see him suffer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but of course, he'll do really well on that, won't he? Because he'll come well, across as really charming. Of, 
but there's been a load of people going, why is he on this program? It's terrible. Yeah, yeah so that people can punish him. I mean, come on. He'll get off incredibly now. lightly. I bet, he's in the, I bet he's in the last three. Oh, God. Anyway, right, we're not now, on here we... on this podcast to talk about I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. So do you know, do you know what? The, uh, they, they put up the minimum wage of, of agricultural workers in line with factory workers. Really? Yes. In, in the beginning of June, end of June 1940. This was Dorman Smith, who was the uh, Minister for Agriculture. Well, this is one of the things, wasn't it? Is that, is that you get, um, you do get wage inflation and you get, if you're, if you're not in the forces, things, things that, uh, and before the blitz, really, things are kind of okay, aren't they? Because there's a there's a squeeze on on skilled labour, so people's wages go up, and there's a there's a sort of micro consumer boom um, uh, in the very early part of the war. You know, and you end up you end up with that weird gap where soldiers aren't soldiers are removed from society, and they're not being paid very well, and everyone is still going is doing okay and particularly particularly skilled labor get, starts getting paid pretty well yeah, so what I mean, happens if you're married and you've got kids and you're not, you're not bringing in the income you were before because yeah. you're out being soldiering yeah well you've, you've got a, you've got problems and then of course and then later in the war it, you know you end up you end up with a consumer shortage and make do amend and all that sort of stuff because actually the, the economic effects of you know of a longer war and a distorting uh, that end of things far more than than they were expected to i mean it's, i mean but 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 that's that's really really interesting because after all this i mean this is the other reason you end up with when you look at the breakdown of like um who who's in the army and the and they get they get everyone after the air force and the navy, don't they? Because the technical people get sort of drawn off. That you end up with shopkeepers, basically people who non essential workforce people end up in the army, which is why you have shopkeepers and novelists and uh, uh, not farmers and and not skilled labourers, basically. And then the army start complaining they're just getting people who aren't. Aren't bright enough. I well, mean, it- yeah, and, and and there's a whole host of other problems okay with farming because suddenly they're saying, okay, we want to go from you know almost pr- producing almost none of our food, almost yeah. all our food all homegrown. Yeah. How do we do that? So you dig up you know the grassland and you plough it all up and you grow more cereals than you ever have before. So 2.1 million acres of of land across the country are ploughed up that weren't ploughed up in 1939. Well, you know, you just think what 2.1 million acres looks like. I mean, if you, I don't know if you've ever been in a 100-acre field, but it's flipping enormous. I mean, it is a big stretch. So 2.1 million acres is a huge, huge number. But, of course, 2.1 million acres extra requires a hell of a lot of workforce Yeah, because harvest well, time me- is incredibly labour-intensive. And mechanisation. So, I mean, I think one of the interesting things is how many, very often when we talk about production and uh, uh, industrial production and output and what's being spent on what, you get hung up on tanks and aircraft, but tractors are being churned out in vast amounts. Well, they are amounts. a Dagenham. Yeah, and threshing machines and stuff because yes. you you've got like you say you've got to meet this sudden expansion yeah, of yeah, but they're uh, already there. So so mechanisation is already there, but most farmers can't afford it. Yeah. So so what they do is they then create a pool which is paid for by central government, which is then handed to the counties and the county war ag committee, which is the kind of agricultural committee which is there to kind of enact the central government's policies, but on a localised level, then has to decide how that that machinery is used and who gets it. And, of course, it's all very partisan because the person in North Wiltshire thinks his case is stronger than the people in South Wiltshire. And you've got to, if you've got this pool, you've still got to move all the machinery around. You know, so so these are really tricky decisions. And, and what they have got, they've got, they've got, um, 
they have got combine harvesters by that stage, but very few of them. So mainly what they're using is what's called a reaper binder or just a binder. So what that does, that's like, that's like a cutting arm, which cuts the, cuts the corn um, and then gathers it and, and binds it up into a sheaf and then spits the sheaf out. And then people go around and put it into stooks, which is where you've got kind of three or four sheaves put together, which you see in the, you know, the, old, the old pictures and all the rest of it. But it's still ahead of a process, and then you have to thresh it. And you can thresh it at different times. You can thresh it in the fields if it's really dry, or you can you can stack it all up and thresh it in the winter, where the quality's not as good, but it's still okay. So there's this, you know, it's a sort of two-stage process. But the amazing thing about 1940 is, is that they're worried about loss of, of manpower, obviously. So they're they're increasing it with with you know land girls and all the rest of it, and more casual labor. So anyway, so so they so they're really worried about it. So they think, well, okay, we've got to incentivize people to stay on the farm. So the reason we'll we'll, we'll do that by because even farm workers who are not going to the uh, who are not go, who are too old to go to to um go to the join the join up, say, are thinking, sod this for a laugh. Why should I be earning thirty eight shillings a week when I could be earning fifty in a factory? Fair enough. So they raise the minimum wage to 48 shillings. But obviously, this has to be funded ultimately by the farmer. But the amazing thing is that the harvest in 1940, so I've, I've also been a bit conflicted by this, because 1940, the whole point was, you know, Goering said that he was going to start Eagle Day on the 13th of, 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 um, of August, 1940. And he reckoned it was going to take him three days, but he'd give himself, you know, clear weather. Uh, but he'd give himself four just to kind of add a little bit of, you know, cushion. And he doesn't get those four clear days of clear weather across the whole swathe of southern England until the end of September 1940. But actually, the summer of 1940 is really good. It's just it does rain at a certain point, and there's low cloud and stuff, and there's not actually that much rain. There's a lot of cloud. So I was wrong about that in the past. I've always said, you know, it's quite wet. It wasn't that it was wet. It was it was cloudy. Overcast. So clear right. weather is clear skies. It's not... Right. So it's not actually very wet. And what does that do for the harvest? Well, it, it, means, it means that it's the earliest harvest on record. And certainly in Wiltshire, they they are the, the the cut is finishing early mid August, which means they can get it. You know, it it it's and and on my farm they get they get it in. It's like the earliest on record, uh, and the yields are really hugely up because of fertilisers and extra manure and all the stuff that the government has been paying for. So the yields go up for up to kind of 30, 30, 42 bushels an acre, which is up from about, you know, it's like 31 or 32 the previous year. So that is substantially different. What we need to do is take a break right now and talk about the thing we were going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back. Yeah, it's all interesting stuff, though. <laughs> yeah, that's all fascinating. Um, we'll see you in a moment. Hola. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You know, uh, you sent me the you sent me the, <laughs> the week in 1943. Well, I know, but having, having been on Tom and Dominic's podcast, I mean, you know, it's all notes and, yeah, you know, they stick know. to it and, right, moving quickly on. But I can hear the pieces of paper being moved around in that podcast and I don't like it. I, th- I know I said this to him as well. I said it's cheating. <laughs> what What is this almanac? I, I meant to have a copy of this, I think. Yeah, you um, are. Okay, so this is, this is, I mean, obviously I don't approve the title at all. World War Two, day by World day. Two, yeah, I mean, what's wrong with yeah. Second World War, day by day? Witness the 2,175 tumultuous, tragic and triumphant days that shook the world. Does it start on the 3rd or the 1st of September? Yeah, 1st. Right, okay, good. Right. Yeah. He said I mean, shuffling it, it, although, his notes. You know, but if you're Chinese... <laughs> If you're Chinese, there's an argument that it started long before that, but, but, but let, let's not get bogged down. Yeah. Um, so, but, so we, we've got 1943, and, and before we get into what's going on, there's a really funny little thing, like a puff piece for the Jeep in in these pages. Uh, one of the greatest success stories of the war is the ubiquitous Willis Jeep. This robust and versatile four-wheeled runabout first came to service with the U.S. Army in the autumn of 1941, even include uh, uh, and is now used by every Allied army, even including, thanks to Lend-Lease, the Russians and Chinese. Well, we know about sim- that, don't we? We do, yeah, exactly, because there are Jeeps at Stalingrad, yeah. I love this. With its simple engine and transmission, it performs equally well in the steaming jungles of Burma and the snowbound steppes of Russia. Its uses are many, staff car, ambulance, load carrier, to name but a few. An amphibious jeep for river crossings is now in service. And here we go. The British are about to do something daft. And the British are developing the rotor buggy or flying jeep. Which uses (laughs) an auto-gyro rotor. rotor. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I don't know about you, but I haven't heard any more about that. <laughs> Nor have I. A Jeep half a Jeep half tracker for use in Alaska has also been produced. I mean, the, that's just oh, someone someone's bright idea, isn't it? It's yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. It's absolutely hilarious. We'll stick a, we'll stick an autogyre on it. That'll work. Yeah. Also, but, for, but also in this week, birth mm. of the United Nations. Yes, and 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 that's fascinating, isn't it? The way it's reported in, in inverted commas, um, and. And it will help refugees. Is, is the is the headline? Forty four nations today uh, signed into being the first United Nations organisations. This is the 9th of November, nineteen forty three. Yep. Relief and Rehabilitation and, Administration. Yeah. So the UNRRA. There it is. UNRWA. Right. Right there. Fascinating, isn't it? And and that its function is administering refugees, taking care of them, which is still still its function. It's extraordinary, isn't it? But it, but they, I mean, this is the thing I think that gets lost along the way is they did call themselves the United Nations a lot. And you, you'll you see that in newspapers in 44 and 45, won't you? The United Nations yep. do this, United Nations do that, meaning the allies. Yes, it's not quite the UN that it becomes, but it's... but it's No, but, it's, a, it's a sort of informal yet formal title, isn't it? It's a, it's a peculiar sort of halfway before they actually establish the UN and it turn, mutates into the thing it is now. It's really, really interesting that, isn't it? I, actually, I love doing this, this thing once in a while because, it, because I, I love the meanwhile, meanwhile bit of aspect of it. An anti-French unrest spreads in Lebanon. All day, Beirut's Muslim population has been rioting following the arrest by free French Senegalese troops of Lebanon's president, prime minister, and the entire cabinet. 
The arrest and suspension of the Constitution followed the effective Declaration of Independence three days ago when Lebanon's parliament adopted Arabic as the sole official language, took control of foreign policy and deleted from the Constitution all reference to the prerogatives and powers of the mandatory state. And, and what's interesting is on the 11th of November, on the 9th in Algiers, de Gaulle had become um, free French president. The, these, are, these, are, these are related because de, de, you know, de, de Gaulle's been sort of trying to reactivate France via the empire, hasn't he? That's been, that's been his angle. That, you know, France, France is bigger than France itself. It has the empire and you use those resources as a political springboard. So if you've got if you've got Lebanon declaring independence and everything, the wheels are coming off that quite quickly. And it's interesting that you've... People, people go on about the British Imperial War effort and 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 try and explain and or, or, or condemn through that. Here you have Senegalese. I mean, bizarre, isn't it? Senegalese soldiers enforcing French, not even, but even not even French, free French. Yeah, rule. Lebanon and Syria had been Vichy French at the start of the war, and in 1941, the summer of 1941, of course, the free French troops are fighting Vichy French troops. In Syria, to the kind of, you know, at the end of, of obviously what happens in, in North Africa in May 1943, the whole of the Mediterranean turns over to, to Free French, which is now not the Free French, it's now the Committee of National Liberation. But, I mean, part of the issue here is that the Gaullists had offered Syria and Lebanon independence um, in 1941. I mean, this this, this quote in this same piece, General Georges Catru said, I come to put an end to the mandatory regime and to proclaim you free and independent. And then when they do declare themselves free No, we free don't want you to do that. Yeah, yeah, we're not, like, not like that. Thanks, lads. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And, 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 and obviously, again, it's this thing that, the French do endlessly fight, and they and you know, and it goes on into the fifties, isn't it? They're, they're doing this rearguard against the bits of the empire, and into the sixties, bits of the empire detaching themselves. In, in, and it's markedly different from the way the British do it. Where in the end, the British go, all right, we're out of here. Whatever, we're off. Fair enough. We we, we haven't got the we haven't got. I bet I suppose because public opinion in Britain cools on empire so rapidly, you know, by 44, 45, no one's interested in the idea of, you know, of empire at all. Whereas in France, because um, de Gaulle's tried to use empire as part of his leverage and to get get the army on, on board and all that sort of stuff, puts everything necessary in a different light, doesn't it? And two days later, I mean, another, meanwhile, third wave of American landings in the Solomons. Bougainville oh, Tarot, and the Gilberts. we've been talking about. Yeah, and Tarot, is, we, yeah, we talked about with John. Which will yeah. be out on Thursday, I think. Uh, which is a bloodbath. Yeah, and of <laughs> no, course, it's no, the end no. of the first battle of um, of Camino on yep. the uh, on the Bernhard line oh, in Italy. That's it. That stuff my dad was sending, the colonel was sending me, of the Ox and Bucks up there going up to help the guards. Yeah. Really hardcore. <laughs> Haven't I been saying? Totally. Really, really br- brutal stuff. And the, uh, and. Basically, they've got no replacements, and they they, they just have, they haven't got, and they're going to help. They're going in to help the guards, who who are out of people, and the ox and bucks are out of people as well. You know, sending light infantry in to help the guardsmen. I mean, it's, it's all a pretty desperate situation, I mean, and the and the Germans really, really um, resisting hard. I mean, it's it really. Oh my god! I mean, I remember going. Up, I remember going up onto Monte Camino, and and it's it's just you you just. It's a bit like Samukra. You just can't believe that they're trying to attack. This is just there's so little cover. You know, the cover there is is sort of you know it's a rock, a big rock that you can hide behind. Um, but but which is so you can sort of see how you can sort of defend it, but attacking across it. Yeah, and at the same time, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot happening, and also 
I don't know. I'm starting to review. I mean, when we talk about Italy, I start to review my opinion that you know that because I've said summer of 1943. If you're the if you're the Germans, you're like, well, you're, it's over, isn't it? But if you can hold the Allies up like this in Italy, it's not over, isn't it? There's plenty to keep going on, isn't there? Well, that's why Jörg Zellner sort of... is continuing to fight with the 44th Hocken Deutschmeister. He's saying, what, what can I do? You know, I've got, got the you know, Allied bombers coming over and hitting our, my hometown of Regensburg. You know, what am I supposed to do? Give up? You know, I've got, I've, you know, I've got to protect my family. And the, well, and the, and on the, the subject of bombing campaigns, campaigns, the battle. This is when the Battle of Berlin starts. Yes, as well, it is. Yeah, in, in on the nineteenth of November, and then there's a there's a cold cold statement from Arthur Harris. Yes, <laughs> we can wreck Berlin from end to end. It will cost between four hundred and five hundred aircraft. It will cost Germany the war. I mean, how many how many people's that? How many crews is that? That's, but, it's calculus. It's right there laid out. Three and a half thousand per men, isn't it? Yeah. It's not, we will hope to not lose 400 to 500 aircraft. We will, it will cost. He, he, that he's, His calculus is laid bare, I think is really interesting. Yeah, but I mean, but, but, but he would argue how many, how many casualties does the yeah. Fifth Army have between September and December 1943? Yeah. Well, on Tarawa, I mean, we're looking at, uh, what is it? What was it? Is it 2,000 Americans or something? Yeah, something like that. For a square mile of yeah, yeah, beach? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you, you can understand his kind of sort of very yeah. odd logic. But yeah. But you're trying to do it in winter. And you, 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 I mean, you just talked about clear weather in the summer of 1940. You know, November over Berlin, it's just, it's, it's bad weather nonstop, isn't it? You've got to find the place. It's that much further. And they, they've got pathfinders going and all that sort of stuff. But, but it's, still, it's still really, it's a tall order, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's really, really hard. Changing situation in France, of course. Yep. You know, because from November 1942 onwards, it's been completely occupied. And on the 14th of November, Marshal Pétain, having tried and failed to reintroduce a measure of legitimacy and thus free France and himself from the head of the government, Pierre Laval, and his collaborationist clique, is now virtually a German prisoner. Pétain planned to say in a speech that he represented legitimate authority in France and that on his death, power would revert to the National Assembly. However, the contents of the speech were communicated to Hitler, who ordered Pétain not to give it. Instead, the Germans plan to launch a campaign of repression and terror against the resistance, exploiting what is left of Marshal Pétain's reputation. I mean, it's the idea that the, I'm going to do this speech. No, oh, you can't. Oh, well, that, that's that's the end of that then. I mean, yeah. he wrote, but, and then, you know, he, he, yeah, he tried to do a deal with the devil, didn't he? And, yeah. and how else was it going to turn out? Yeah, 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 exactly. End of the month, you've got the Sextant Conference in Cairo, yeah. which is fascinating, actually, because Roosevelt invites Chiang Kai-shek and Lady Chiang Kai-shek. Lady, Lady Chiang Kai-shek, who, everyone's, who everyone think, everyone thinks is fantastic. Everyone ogles thinks is frightfully yeah, glamorous and gl gorgeous. Glamorous, isn't she? And yeah, everyone wants a yeah. glimpse of her. No one's interested in Chiang. They just want, they want Mrs. Chiang. And, and this, is, this is Roosevelt's attempt to kind of put China first and foremost. And it doesn't really work. Because straight after this is Tehran, where they go to see Stalin. See Stalin, yeah. And Stalin is rather sort of dismissive of that. It's fascinating. So you can get you can get the minutes of all online now. You can get the minutes of all these conferences, and they're so interesting to read them all. Because I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you have any idea how these conferences work, and you know what happens, and all the rest of it? I mean, it's the staffs all meet, isn't it? And then and then the chiefs all sit around and rubber stamp stuff, isn't it? Or, or... yeah. So what tends to happen is is they all gather, they all four gather, sort of drinks party on the lawn. Um, everyone says, "Isn't it splendid that we're all here?" And then the following day, they have the opening meeting to which Churchill and Roosevelt are present. And then the rest of it, they're not really until the end. 
and that what they're having, what Churchill and, and Ruza are doing, are having kind of breakout meetings with individuals. Well, the combined chiefs of staff get on with the kind of the main meat of the of, of the horse trading. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating. You, you read the minutes, and w- what is really interesting is they're nothing like as heated as you would imagine. Well, which is why when there is disagreement and and heated discussion, that gets focused on, isn't it? Because th- it's interesting if they're all getting along. It's it's uh, you know that's boring, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> It's fascinating. You can't you can't write an allies at war book if everyone's getting along, can you? I mean, that, that, you, <laughs> allies really getting along. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you're done for, aren't yeah, you? I suppose if so. That's what you're after. I suppose so. But, but it's, it's, it's you know it's, it's fascinating. But the thing is, though, is this Roosevelt? Because after all, Roosevelt Roosevelt um, at Casablanca bounces everyone into um, unconditional surrender, doesn't he? Like just pitches it out of nowhere, and no one sees that coming, and he's trying. Do you think that with China, he's trying to do that again? He's trying to create some political initiative, and it do, it doesn't always work, does it? Because the, because he the, the British are completely caught out by unconditional surrender, They're, especially as the the Americans have been trying some you know conditional stuff with with Vichy France. Anyway, it's like it's a very odd it's a very odd tangent where it comes from with Roosevelt, why he suddenly arrives at that, catches everyone out, but the fact that is that what he's trying to do with China? Do you think? And then you know, you run into Stalin, who's who's not interested. Well, he's also he's also running into the British, who are not interested. And and yeah. he, you know, there's this there's this whole narrative which is after Casablanca, the Americans are determined never to be caught out again by the British, and never going to do what what the British wanted. And yet they end up in Italy, um, and and yet they're kind of backing X, Y, and Z. I mean, you know, it's it's not. True. I mean, Britain loses influence and never has dominates in the same way that it does it um, at Casablanca. But 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 it's but it's not the case. And and you know the British British have quite a lot of pushback on China, which they think is a complete waste of time. At, sec- at the Sextant Conference, it is there's lots of chat about China and the Pacific and and Southeast Asia and all the rest of it and what they're going to do. There's lots of reinforcement of of Operation Overlord, but there's also this sort of big thing: what are we going to do with Italy? Because Italy's taking longer. You know, we might not get to get to Roman time. So this is where they first start talking about kind of okay, well, let's let's keep get some extra landing craft so you can do an outflanking operation, which becomes Operation Shingle, which becomes you know, of course, the Anzio landings in third week of January, 1944. You know, all that's going on as well, and also the the you know Churchill is really pushing hard for 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 kind of operations in the Eastern Mediterranean. Trying to get Turkey, and he's you know he's obsessed with Turkey. He's always been obsessed with Turkey, and that hasn't changed since yeah. Gallipoli. Yeah, and still trying to get Turkey in. That's an imperial mindset, isn't it? He's it, it, you know the, 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 they're one of the imperial chess pieces on the board, aren't they? The Turks still, even though even though they they are, they are interesting in this in this in this almanac. So three days before Pétain um, tries to. Um, uh, uh, speak up against the, the Germans. There's a commemoration of the armistice of the armistice on the 11th of November. Petan has banned that because people are trying to um, commemorate the First World War. So he's got he's got problems of his own, yeah. isn't he? Big time. Keeping the lid on in France. Yeah. So obviously, three days later, he try, he tries to sort of exp- flex his muscles independently, and 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 the Germans stop him. I mean, I. Who do we know that we could get on to talk about Vichy, Vichy France? Because it's a, it's a. Oh, Matthew I mean, Cobb, he's brilliant. Well, well, why don't we do we that? We get at some Douglas point? Porch, of course. Yeah, well, God, well, that and that book's amazing. Well, let's get him on. Yeah, 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 he'd be good. Um, yeah, okay, all right. Well, I think we've there. We go. We've, we've. That's what's going on roughly now in yep. 1943. It's not a bad little canter, Jim. No, it's to, pretty good, really. Through that, yeah, yeah. You know, some rabbit holes, but Excellent. that's okay. 
uh, yeah, standard. Anyway, we, we, we that I think that's, that's it for this week. We will see you very, very, very soon. Um, but don't forget, tickets are on sale for We Have Ways Fest, um, 18th, 21st July, 2024. Um, bring your invasion stripes. We will see you there. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm, I think oh, Mike first, Nyberg, it, of course, is a Vichy expert as well. Yeah, he's brilliant on it. Yeah. Well, anyway, we, we, we'll get around to it at some point. Yeah. And is thir- uh, on Thursday, is it um, us talking to John about... Tarawa. Um, Tarawa. Yeah. Tarawa. Okay, brilliant. Tarawa. Yeah, some oh, debate oh, as to oh, how oh. to pronounce it yet. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, we will see you soon. Thanks very much for listening. Listening. Cheerio. Goodbye. Cheerio.